Hello and welcome to the Drink In Geek Out podcast. This is a show where we drink beer and geek out. You are listening to episode 124, Game of Thrones Season 3, featuring a wine from Two E's Winery and a beer from Brewery Omagang, with your hosts Pale and Kayla. back on the, on the podcast yeah i like to show up every now and then you like doing it i just like him to know that you are really married and you're not just making me up when i talk about you it's not like oh yeah my wife you know just <laughs> sound cool so we're talking about game of thrones season three mm-hmm. we did season one and season two so if you have not listened to those you might have to go back a ways and prepare yourself for spoiler alerts. Yeah. We're going to give away some secrets. Yeah, there's going to be a few spoilers, but this show came out in 2013. Yeah, if you haven't watched it by now, you're probably not going to watch it. But we're trying to convince you to start from the beginning and watch them all because it's really good. Yes. Well, what would you think of this season overall? Um, Overall, it was okay. It wasn't the most exciting season. I mean, there are a few exciting things in there but it's not like action-packed the whole time there's a lot of building like a lot of story building and a lot of characters are starting to move into place to get to where we are now with season eight coming out so there's a lot of story that you have to pay attention to see i thought season two there was a lot of story building they were kind of like setting up a lot of shit to happen in season three that's how i kind of felt I thought um, season three had a lot of good, had a lot of good of storytelling, mm-hmm. and the characters went through a lot of shit, except the Lannisters. They didn't really. But not all. Well, they went through stuff, just not as terrible as some of the other characters went through. Yeah, it just seemed like every story arc had something. Somebody was going through something. And I feel like there's still a lot of different storylines. So, like, when they flip back to another story, you're like, oh, yeah, I forgot we're still following them as well. Right. So, some of that, it can get a little hard to follow, but I didn't. Maybe it's because this is like the second or third time we watched it. So, I think it's easier to follow the more you know what's going on. Mm hmm. It was one of my favorite seasons, I think. Overall, or out um, of one, two, and three? Overall. Really? Yeah. It's not my favorite season out of all of them. I'm just going to say that right now. Oh, that's okay. Uh, yeah, I just thought... I mean, it's not, like, number one, because now you have, like, season five and six and seven that really take it to the next level because they get away from the books and they can kind of, like, let their minds run free and do things that they probably always wanted to do. I think I like the other the later seasons because maybe not because they're getting away from the books, but because they're starting to hone in on like the main three or four stories versus ten different stories that you're trying to follow and remember. And now it's starting to bring this all together, how all these different stories are connected for one main purpose. Right. And maybe that's why I like the later seasons versus one, two, and three, where it's constantly building different characters and different areas and trying to bring it all together. But it's so 
it's still kind of slow moving because they gotta build up these characters to get to where season seven is at right now. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, definitely those later seasons are are really good. There's a lot of there's action. just more action and there's yeah. you start to see more about the stories that you actually care about. Mm-hmm. Versus some of this piddly stuff that I'm like, I don't really care about them. Yeah, I noticed it. Like when it got to season five, they started to really focus on like the characters you really cared about: Jon Snow, Daenerys, right. and the Lannisters. Still, yeah. the Lannisters still. You want to know what's going on with them, right? Anyway, but back to season three. Yeah, that's so why, that's why we're here today. That's why we're here today to talk about season three. We're gonna do. We're not going to do episode by episode like we did with season one. We're just going to... That takes way too long. Yeah, that takes way too long. And we want to try to keep this around an hour. So I'm going to read a plot summary of season three. And then we'll introduce like some of the new characters that came in. And then we each picked five memorable moments from the season. There's a couple that are the same, but that's okay. Most of them are different. And then um, we'll jump into our like our beer at the end. Mm-hmm. But first, we're going to take a break because we're going to pour a wine. Something we've never done on the show before. While we get the next beer ready, I just wanted to remind you that you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at DrinkInGeekOut. You can also check our show notes and other fun stuff on our website, DrinkInGeekOut.com. You can also email us any comments or suggestions at DrinkInGeekOut.com at gmail.com if you like what you hear please take a second to rate review and subscribe on apple podcast the google play store or wherever you get your podcasts we also have a patreon where you can get some fun bonus content and previous episodes and that is currently at patreon.com slash drink geek out and now back to the show and we're back today our wine is a two e's wine it's from the Tui's winery in huntington indiana um i'm just going to read you this little description slash portion it's on the back of the bottle so that you can kind of get a a feel for the the wine slash winery um it says i beckon to your inner back porch drinker promising to take your senses on a familiar and comfortable journey refreshing and well-balanced i am indiana's premium sweet red Made from the sturdy and reliable Concord grape and perfect for the palate that leans towards a pleasant experience. I am the ponytailed sweet wine you take home to meet your mother. Ooh. Ooh. I already took you home to meet my mother a long time ago. Did you use red wine? No, I don't no, think we no. were drinking that night. I think we were nervous enough. I don't think wine was probably a good idea. I was nervous too. <laughs> anyway, so this is... Like we said, this is a two E's um, wine, which is local. It's about, I don't know, 20 miles from our house. And they have different, all different types of wine. They have reds and whites and in between they have rosés. And um, this is one of the ones that I really enjoy. So I hope that Paul enjoys it because I have already tried this many times. They do wine slushies all year round and they do different flavors. Right now they're doing one called, um, it's called a chocolate covered strawberry. And Ooh, that sounds good. It's a strawberry wine, I believe, with like a chocolate layer on the top of the slushy. It looks really good in their photo, but I it's think, because it's for Valentine's Day coming up. So 
I think Keith's a big strawberry guy. Really? I think he'd slam that. Hmm. Well, I think it looked really good, but I doubt that I'll get there in time for to still be there. With having a kid, my winery days are limited. It's, so. very, it's very hard to get out and it's do It's hard things. to get out and about. We have many babysitters, but they're not always available when you're ready to go. So Right. How many times have we visited this winery? Um, let's see. I've been there a few times. Um, I've been there with Sarah a couple times, which is Saf's wife. Me and her went a few times. She's the one that got me hooked on it. Um, and then I think we went as a group a couple different times. So I don't know, four or five times we've been there just because they're so close and the wine is really good and it's affordable. You know, it's not like those $60 bottles of wine, you know? Oh no. I think their most expensive one is like in the $30 range, but this Planck is... I think it, the website said $11. Yeah, I say it's not. It's less than 15 so... And then they sell it at Target too, don't they? Yes, this is where we got this. Our This wine is at Target now, so... So everything you can find under $15 pretty much. Pretty much. Everything's usually pretty, pretty close to that 15 or lower range mm-hmm. and they have a lot of sales a lot of times they'll have like 10 percent days or whatever so i really enjoy this winery so yeah i think it's a really nice place mm-hmm. like when we first went there the front of it looks really nice it's all like stone mm-hmm. front and then they have a really nice patio yep and they do live music live on the music. weekends in the summer and they hold they host events there and do private parties and stuff, so you can always book a party there too. I thought that was kind of neat if you were looking for like a a family or friend gathering or an adult gathering, like a a wedding rehearsal party or something like that. You know? Yeah, I've seen a lot of food trucks out there. Oh yeah, they they don't serve food, which is you know whatever they're a winery. But I think they do like a cheese cracker plate type thing, but I don't think they actually do like actual like food sandwiches type things. Yeah. So, all right. So let's look at this wine. Okay. It's a sweet red. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, typical. It's a typical red color. It's yeah. a, it's a, it's almost like a pinkish red. It's not like a cloudy red. It's not really like a dark red. It's kind of shimmery. Yeah, like you said, it's shimmery, pinkish red. It glows on your fingers when the light comes through. Mm-hmm. Gonna try it. Oh, I'm just smelling it first. I all these wines I get I get like a buttery smell from it. I don't know what that is. Buttery. Yeah, I don't know. It's it might be like the fermentation or something yeah. that you're smelling, but I don't smell butter. Alright, I'm gonna try it. it. Doesn't really have it. I mean it smells like kinda like a cherry kinda. It's really good. Mm, that is good. Yeah. If you could see Pale's face, it was very shocked that he actually liked it. I think he was expecting it to be a lot stronger than it is. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's a wine, but it's not like, boom, hit your face. Like some of the wines are a little stronger. Oh, no. So I, We couldn't find a, like the alcohol percentage on this, but I can't. This can't be any more than 5 or 6%. No, it's really good. It has a good grape taste, almost like a Welch grape kind of yeah. taste to it. So it's it's really sweet and it doesn't like leave a bitter aftertaste either. Do you so, taste that cherry though? Because I, I, I kind of did. I would say a little bit. It's not like full on. Oh, it's cherry in your mouth like a full like you just ate a maraschino cherry, but it has a little cherry flavor to it. Mm-hmm. Now I definitely prefer this one cold 
versus warm. A lot of people like their red wines warm, and I prefer mine cold. Mm -hmm. I'm just not a... I feel like it tastes more bitter or leaves a terrible aftertaste if you drink any wine, for that matter, warm. I'm not a fan. Yeah. I can't... Personal preference. I can't do warm wine either. Is there any wines out there that you would want to try warm or... Like dry ones, maybe. Uh, maybe dry ones. I know they do a lot of reds warm, but I I prefer most of my wines cold. Just I think that's just a, a mindset of when you have a beverage, usually it's cold unless it's like coffee or tea. But I think it's just personal preference. But yeah. I'm not a snooty wine drinker either, so I don't know what all the rules and the fancy terms are for that. But yeah, I'm, yeah, we don't really have many wine experts in the friend circle. No, but I'm probably I, the one that's tried the maybe the most, but besides Sarah, maybe. But I know there are beers that you wanted to keep warmer, maybe in like the forty to fifty degree range, like the big heavy stouts. Yeah, with like chocolate and coffee and stuff because it brings out more more of the of flavor the, for flavor. Yeah, more of the coffee and nut, nutty roasts and mm-hmm. whatnot. So I didn't know if that was like and that might wine. be that's probably the same reason. Maybe they're trying to bring out a lot of times they'll say. The wine is woodsy or um, smoky or something like that. And I think maybe that's why they want it warm so that it brings out, like you said, some more of that flavor or some more of those hidden tones that are underneath. And sometimes the cold can hide that. Yeah. But But I'm not a big fan. It's like, hey, it's woodsy. I'm not trying to eat a tree. All right. I'm just trying to taste some wine. I don't know about woodsy and wine. (laughs) I told you I'm not a snooty wine person, but that's what they say. Yeah. No, you're pretty casual wine drinker, mm. but I I really like this. It's not overly boozy. It's not overly tart. Mm-mm. It's got a nice grape and a little bit cherry flavor to it. Um, it's sweet. I think it's semi sweet, like in my opinion. I would um, still say it's a sweet, a semi sweet. You're still gonna have that bitter on your oh, tongue you're, afterwards, you're, where you're yeah, you're, right. you're or it's almost dry, but not completely a dry. So yeah. I would still call this a sweet red. Sweet red. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm a big fan of it. How many corks would you give it? How many corks it? would I give it? Out of five? Yeah. Out of five. Five being the best. Ooh. Well, um. Give me your standard. Three and a half. No, I mean, I don't. I'm not a big wine connoisseur. I don't know really anything that you would want to do differently to it to improve it. So I'm just going to give it five corks. Oh, wow. Yeah, because just because I don't, you know, like my standards are really low right now. Right, for yeah. Wine. Great. So what about you? What do you think? Um, I definitely I definitely give it a four and a half, I'd say. I mean, my perfect wine is, I don't know. I've never had the perfect wine, I guess. So I don't can't tell you what the perfect wine is. So I always leave room for improvement. But I really love this one. It's one of my favorites, especially when they make slushies out of it. I can just drink all of it. It's this so would be good. A phenomenal slushy. It is really good. I've been to an event that had the plonk. Oh, did you slushies when we went to a tin caps game in Fort Wayne, and they had. Oh yeah, that's right. They had wine slushies, and they used this plonk red, and it was delicious. So yeah, I definitely recommend it. Anybody in Fort Wayne slash Huntington area to stop at the two E's winery and check out not just Plonk, but lots of other wines there too. Yeah. All right. Sounds good. So you want to get back into our Game of Thrones discussion? Absolutely. All right. Um, since we're not doing episodes, I'm going to just do a season three recap, basically, from 
I think this was from fandom.com. Season 3 spans several months on a world where the seasons can last for years at a time. Autumn has fallen across the world with winter not far behind. The people should be preparing for years of snow and ice, but the seven kingdoms of Westeros instead remain gripped by civil war. Would-be King Renly Baratheon has been assassinated, altering the alliances in the war. The cruel boy king, Joffrey Baratheon, has won a great victory by securing an alliance with House Tyrell. With his supporters defeating his uncle Stannis in an epic battle, Joffrey now commands the largest armies in the realm and his triumphant appears his triumph appears inevitable. King Rob Stark remains in the field, however, his homeland, the North, is partially under ironborn occupation. Rob needs to decide on a course of action to win an overall victory. He must also win back the allegiance of House Frey, whom he has offended by breaking his marriage pact with them. King Rob has won every battle he has fought, but as with old King Robert, the Starks will have to see if good soldiers make good kings. Stannis Baratheon may be defeated and most of his army destroyed or scattered, but he is not out of the fight yet. Having retreated to his headquarters on Dragonstone Island with his handful of surviving soldiers, Stannis' status as the last legitimate heir to his older brother Robert still casts a shadow over Joffrey's claim to the throne. With the priestess Melisandre at his side, Stannis can still influence the course of the war by striking where least expected. The lives of many others still hang in the balance. Bran Stark and his protectors must cross the frozen wastelands of the north to reach the wall, while Arya must brave the war-torn riverlands in search of her mother and brother. Brienne of Tarth also has the thankless task of escorting the captive Jaime Lannister home across hundreds of miles of battlefields and carnage. Theon Greyjoy must face the consequences of his actions at Winterfell, and in King's Landing, both Tyrion Lannister and Sansa Stark must brave the currents of a much more dangerous court in order to survive. On the eastern continent, Daenerys Targaryen has, fied, has fled sorry, the political viper pit of Karth. Her dragons are growing and her fame is spreading, but to take the Iron Throne, she will need supporters and an army. Both may be found in her corrupt cities of Slaver's Bay for a price. Beyond the Wall, the White Walkers are on the move, threatening both the Seven Kingdoms and the lands of the Free Folk. While the Night's Watch faces the threat of winter of the White Walkers in the, in the field, Jon Snow must infiltrate the Wildling Army of Mance Raider and discover the King Beyond the Wall's plans. Okay, I need another drink of wine after all that. That was a mouthful. That was, yeah, it was very Hence long. why we're going to give you some of the highlights in our five moments so that it kind of breaks some of that down a little bit. But that was so much faster than going episode by episode. Oh, yes, because if we were to go episode by episode, we could talk for three hours about this. So we're going to just name off some of the new members in the cast. Mm-hmm. You still have your original cast like Jon Snow, Rob Stark... Catelyn Stark, Sansa Stark, Arya Stark. <laughs> Most of the Jamie Stark Lannister. family is still there. Um, all, all the Lannisters are still there. Brianna Tarth. Daenerys. The... Daenerys Targaryen. Her two right-hand men. Yep. 
Um, okay, so first we have Olena Tyrell, played by Diana Rigg, who is Loris and Marjorie's grandmother. Mm-hmm. We have Mance Raider, played by Syrian Hines, leader of the Wildlings. Missande, played by Natalie Manuel, who is Daenerys's handmaiden. I really like that name, Missande. Missande. Mm-hmm. That's what I, I I put handmaiden. I don't know if that's accurate. Yeah, basically. I mean, she's she's more like her confidant. You know, confidant. she kind of vents to her and leans on her for information and suggestions, kind of like a friend. Yeah, she's just she's a friend. I would say she kind of keeps her balanced from doing something too crazy. You right. Know? But if Daenerys says something, Missandei's like, you got it. Yeah. She, has, she doesn't overstep. And we have Ramsay Snow, played by Ewan Rain, who is Roose Bolton's bastard son. Mm-hmm. So anything else you want to add to that for those characters? Nope. I think when we get into our moments, we can talk more about some of them. Yeah. All right. So you want to... So what we'll do is you'll name off your first moment and then i'll go and do my first one then you'll do your second one then i'll do my second one okay is that cool yeah that's fine. okay okay so my first um moment would be jamie lannister who is cersei lannister's brother which is also the kingslayer is what they call him he's being escorted back and they they run into one of the are they bolton's men Basically, or not really his men, but they're like headhunters almost. Yeah. I they kind of just come across them. They weren't even like looking for him. They just come across him. Anyway. He they come gets, across him and Brienne. And- yeah. So they take them. They're taking them back to Bolton. And Jamie Lannister, as per usual, gets a little mouthy. Mm-hmm. Thinking he knows. He's a pretty cocky guy. So he, he pretty just much knows up. everything. And my daddy's going to pay you. Uh, just yeah. let me go. Whatever. So they showed him, and they cut off his right hand, mm-hmm. his sword hand. Yeah, his his right hand, his sword hand. I was also reading that he was, or the guy they call him Locke, mm-hmm. was. Um, I think he was putting down Brienne in a way, like, and he and Jamie was trying to like talk her up and like how great she is, and well, Jamie um, was. Trying to spare their lives, basically. Trying to talk his way out of trouble, as per usual. Yeah. And I think he was saying that Brienne of Tarth, you know, she's rich, so you don't want to kill her. You want to keep her because her family will give you sapphires to um, let us go and whatever. And my dad, you know, my dad will give you gold and all that. So I think he was trying to weasel his way. And that lock guy knew Jamie always seems to talk his way out of trouble. Mm-hmm. So how are you going to talk yourself out of no hand? <laughs> right. How are you going to deal with this? It was really I mean, shocking to see because they chop it off and there's his stump and you're like, oh my God, that's his sword hand. And not that you're a huge fan of him because he's such an a-hole most it's of like the time. Nothing like that ever has happened to him. No, he's never had to deal with he's, like real life consequences right. for anything. He's never he's had to. He's a Lannister. To... I mean, he doesn't get disciplined or... Or in trouble for right anything. because him or his father has always bought his way out of trouble so yeah. and that was one of the like first shocking things that happened in this season yeah that was like episode three or four i can't remember i think so yeah i think it's like three yeah but i had that one 
on my list too. So I'll jump to my second one. My second one, Egret and Jon Snow separate themselves from the pack to make sweet, sweet love. Woo! Yeah! Finally! Jon John Snow gets all naked and you get to see his like abs and stuff. So ladies, if you're listening, you need to watch that episode because he gets half naked and you see his butt cheeks and you're all about it. And men, you see Egret like yeah, front get, and back. You get to see her boobies. Yeah. She got little She's boobies. She's a, a tiny girl. She's very petite. Yeah. And this was uh, Jon Snow's first time with a woman. Yes. So that was why it's very exciting because, you know, when they join the Night's, Night's Watch, Watch, you would, they swear off you women. Swear, yeah, you swear that you're never going to do that. Never right. Be with a and woman. so for him to go against the Night's Watch vow and sleep with a woman was a big deal. Right. But it proved to her and to the other wildlings that he was not just saying that he was joining them, that he was actually joining them. Mm-hmm. And so, in a way, Egret makes fun of Jon Snow for being part of Night's Watch because, quote unquote, he knows nothing, and he's and she knows that he's never really been, you know, with a woman or been right. like in battle with anybody or mm-hmm. you know, like he hasn't really had any hardships. And right, he's still very young. You got to yeah. think about it. he's still very young coming into the Night's Watch, and now he's kidnapped basically mm-hmm. by all the wildlings, and I feel like. He's joining the wildlings to save his life so they don't kill him. So, like you said, he hasn't been into battle yet. He hasn't been around women. He hasn't come up to these man-type things yet in this world. Oh, my God. We almost had wine everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to move this so we don't Good spill idea. it. Because I'm talking with my hands. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I like that. I was, I was kind of rooting for Jon Snow, and I was I'm proud of him. It was very interesting because she then talks about how good he was for not being, for never, for never being with a woman. She's like, how did you know how to do that? You can't tell me you've never been with anybody. He's like, I never have. He puts his mouth in. Yeah. He he goes down on her. Let's be honest. He goes down on her and she loves it. And she's like, how did you, how do you know how to do that thing with your mouth? Right. Where'd you learn that? Sorry. Sorry. If you guys aren't into that thing. I'm just, that's just what happens in this show. There's a lot of naked stuff in this show not just this season but lots of seasons yeah so i had to jump to my second one so what's your second um so my second one was Tyrion, who is the little the imp the little man marries sansa stark because he is told to by his father tywin lannister basically his father is trying to ensure that they get the north and so the way to ensue that they have control over the North is to marry a Stark because Rob Stark still at this point is King of the North. So if they're marrying into the Stark family, they're marrying into that kingdom, yeah, which ensues them to rule over everything. Tywin wants Tyrion to put a baby inside of her too. Right. To, ha- to have an heir for that. They need, they need an heir to the throne. Mm-hmm. It was very interesting to see them get married. First of all, Sansa's like 15 or something, yeah, I right? I think she's 15 in the She's show. very young to be getting married. And she has no idea. And she can just see on her face, she's like, I'm marrying this man. One, he's an imp. So it's there's a stigma against it. And she wants to marry for love. She's still very young and naive about how this world works. That you're really marrying for power. You're not marrying for love. And Tyrion just gets fucking drunk the whole time. He's like, screw it. He got drunk, drunk at the reception. Passed out in their room. Uh-huh. 
But he was very sweet, and he told her that I will never force you to consummate the marriage until you're ready. And she said, "What if I'm never ready?" And they just left it at that. Yep. And he said, "That's that's fine." Mm-hmm. And it was like they had their bedding ceremony, and they that's where they, you know, all the people like carry them to their bedroom to have sex and all that. And I think he was kind of like trying to like pump himself up to like do it you know like maybe give him i think that's why he got drunk because he felt like she's a child yeah you know? and he didn't really want to remember that. right so so i think he was he was game for it he was gonna do what his father ordered and she said i'm no i'm, I'm never gonna be ready she anymore. was gonna do it though she started to undress and he said oh that's right he said i can't do this if you're not ready i'm not gonna force you to do this Yep. So they stopped. So it was kind of sad at the same time, but you saw a softer side to Tyrion than you have before. You can kind of see that he's been beat down a little bit by his father, who's just a jerk. Yeah. And Sansa's still so young and naive, and I can't wait for the later seasons because she starts to come into her own. But mm-hmm. it's a it's a weird web they're weaving right now. So yeah. All right. So. Yeah. My third one. Well, actually, our third ones are the same. So, do you want to... You do it. I just talked. What? I was going to have you read this. Oh, yeah. Sorry. So, it's the Red Wedding. The infamous Red Wedding that everybody talks about. Episode 9. Um, basically, Rob Stark's uncle. His, I think his name was Edmure. Yes. He, he's marrying one of Walter Frey's daughters. Because Rob Stark, you know, he didn't keep his promise, fell in love with someone else. So they are going to this wedding and, yeah, like shit just goes bananas. It does go bananas. Here is the red wedding from fandom.com. At the Twins. Rob Stark's army arrives at the Twins, the castle seat of House Frey, for his uncle Edmure's wedding. Enduring Lord Walter Frey's insults directed at him and his wife, Rob makes a public apology to Lord Frey's daughters and granddaughters for breaking his promise to marry one of them. Frey accepts the apology and offers the Starks and their men his hospitality. That night, Edmure is introduced to his bride, Rosalind Frey, discovering much to his relief that she is a beauty. The wedding and the feast that follows it are quite celebratory and lively affairs with all the participants in high spirits. Edmure is clearly in love with his attentions are focused. I'm sorry. (laughs) Edmure is clearly in love and his attentions are focused solely on his bride. As the celebrations reach their heights, Lord Walter calls for the bedding ceremony. Rob agrees and the bride and groom are carried off to their wedding bed. Rosalind carried off by the male guest and followed closely by Edmure, who is collected by the Frey women. Brendan Tully, having drunk too much wine, excuses himself from the celebration to find a tree to piss on, in quotes. After they leave and the festivities begin to wind down, Catelyn becomes suspicious when she notices Black Walter Rivers close the banquet hall doors and the musicians in the gallery begin playing The Reigns of Castamere, the song commemorating House Lannister's decisive and brutal victory against the rebellious House reign of Castamere years ago. Walder rises to make a toast to Rob 
and Catelyn, seated beside Lord Ruse Bolton, notices that the latter is wearing mail under his clothing, meaning chain mail. Realizing they are in a trap, Catelyn slaps Ruse across the face and screams a warning to Rob, but by then it is too late. Lord Walder signals his men to attack. In what becomes known as the infamous Red Wedding, Lothar draws a knife and repeatedly stabs the pregnant Talisa in the stomach, killing her unborn child. Talisa collapses to the ground as chaos surrounds. Before he can react, Rob is shot by the musicians with crossbows several times and falls to the floor. Numerous other Stark men are killed by the crossbow bolts or set upon by fray soldiers. Catelyn is shot by one of the musicians in the back and falls to the floor. Outside, Arya Stark and the Hound, having arrived at the twins in disguise, are turned away by the fray guards at the time the massacre begins. Arya gives Sander the slip and sneaks past the gate guards, only, only to witness fray men kill Stark soldiers and Grey Wind, Rob's dire wolf. She makes a desperate run for the castle, but is stopped by the Hound, who tells her that it is too late. When Arya won't stop, Sander knocks her unconscious before carrying her out of the castle to safety. A wounded Catelyn crawls to safety beneath a table as Walder motions the soldiers to seize their slaughter. Walder mocks Rob as he limps to his dying wife. He holds Talisa in his arms as she dies. Catelyn sees an opportunity and limps out from her hiding spot to seize Walder's cowering young wife from under his table. Catelyn holds a knife to the girl's throat and threatens to kill her if Walder does not negotiate an end to the attack. Walder refuses her, recalling the previous betrayed oath that Rob would marry his daughter. She begs they take her hostage and that Rob, who merely lingers despondent and heartbroken beside his wife's corpse, be allowed to leave. He questions why he should agree to such terms, to which Catelyn responds by swearing on her honor as both a Tully and a Stark that if he does not let Rob go, she will kill his wife. Walder chuckles and nonchalantly responds, I'll find another. Rob stands and utters, Mother, as Roose Bolton, who has fled the hall when the massacre began, seizes Rob, whispering, The Lannisters send their regards, before stabbing him in the heart. Rob maintains eye contact with Catelyn as he collapses to the floor. Mad with grief at the death of her firstborn son, Catelyn cries out in anguish and kills Walder's wife, fulfilling her promise. Now catatonic with grief, she stands there and accepts her fate, allowing Black Walder to slip up behind her and viciously cut her throat. She, she falls to the floor with a thud. Pretty crazy. It's pretty intense. Yeah, it's... It sounds like a lot when you're talking about it or you're. I'm reading this thing. It's like, okay, what's going on? But there's a lot of bloodshed and a lot of violence and a lot of sadness in that scene. I mean, it was like a sequence of maybe 15, 20 minutes with the the wedding and then all the, the partying and the bedding and then the whole massacre part. Yeah, but I think by the time we even realize what's going on, it would be too late. You know what I mean? Like you're, you're in shock is like, wait a minute, this isn't supposed to be happening. They've made peace, but it was right. all a trick just to get payback for what he had done or not done i guess yeah very good that was my number three as well mm -hmm. number four i had sam kills a white walker so sam and gilly are in a little hut 
there by a fire trying to stay warm, trying to keep Gilly's baby warm, hoping he would uh, go to sleep. The wind starts to pick up near the hut, which is not a good sign. It's not a good sign when wind and like snow starts to like pick up and the crows are going crazy. And he goes out there to see what's going on and notices there's something out in the distance in the woods. And it's coming at them. And it's a white silhouette with long hair, skinny bones showing. He uh, goes out there. He's yelling, trying to tell him to go away. And uh, the White Walker comes close to him, grabs him, and tosses him. And the White Walker is heading towards the baby because they want the baby so they can turn them and bring them into their, their army. So... Sam is on his back on the ground. White Walker is heading to, towards Gilly. Luckily, he has dragon glass on him. He pulls it out, runs up behind the White Walker, stabs him in the back, and the White Walker just shatters. Goes, turns into dust. And so it was like a very good moment for Sam. Um, right, because Sam's kind of a goober, if you will. <laughs> He he's fat and slow and everybody makes fun of him and so for him to actually kill something that dangerous or to be a hero in a scene is kind of exciting yeah so yeah it's a cool moment and then i think that brought him and gilly closer together she could trust him she felt comfortable and protected yes very much so by that mm-hmm. so it really helped their uh, relationship yeah we'll see what that blossoms into later yeah. You got your number five? My number five or my number four? Your number four. Sorry. Yes. My number four is the dragons burn the slave masters at Slaver's Bay. So Daenerys is at Slaver's Bay trying to collect an army so she can start taking over Westeros. And so she is making a deal with the slave master, the head slave master. And um, the whole time he's talking in Valerian and calling her everything but a white woman and just very nasty names. Anyway, so they make the trade that he will give her his army and she will give him her biggest dragon. And so they make the trade and he gives her the whip to run the slave army and she yells out some commands and they follow so she knows that they're his or excuse me that they're hers and then um, he tells the translator, which is Miss Sunday, mm-hmm. that the dragon won't respond. And she says the dragon's not a slave. And she says it in Valerian. And he's like shocked. Like, you speak Valerian this whole time? Right. So this whole time he was talking bad about her. She knew what he was saying. And so she gives one command. And what does she say? Dracarys. And she burns his ass with the dragon. That thing just sets him on fire. It's so cool. He's like burnt toast. Right. And then the other two dragons are going along the other slave masters and killing them as well. So it was kind of cool to see the dragons in action again and see that she they listen to her because she's the mother of dragons. Right. It was really awesome. Yeah, I really like that too. So number five, this is the last one on my list. Daenerys takes over Yunkai and frees the slaves. So after being at Slaver's Bay, 
unable to negotiate and burning the masters, freeing the slaves, taking their army. Then she heads to Yunkai, tries to do the same thing, negotiate with them for their army, some ships, whatever they don't need in return. And they're not, they don't cooperate. So she finds the second sons who are like the leaders of their military. And she um, gets them to actually turn on the masters. And so they, they're in battle. They're taking out the leaders of the slaves and uh, come back and let Daenerys know that the city is now yours. And um, towards the end there, all the people, all the like civilians of Yunkai are like in shock that they're, they don't have any masters anymore. Like they can freely do whatever they want to do. And they start saying Misa, which is mom and Valyrian. I'm guessing that's what uh, one of his, her right hand man told her. So they start saying Misa, Misa. And she goes out there, they lift her up in the air like Mother Teresa. And, um, well, she becomes their hero. She yeah. saves them from slavery and from these evil men that beat them and hurt them and make them do all kinds of terrible things. And so it's like a mother who's taking care of her children. Mm-hmm. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, it was. And your number five? Uh, my five is Jon Snow and Egret climb this big giant ice wall. And so it's pretty intense because they're climbing the ice wall and they're about, it's, what did you say? It was like 700 feet. 700 feet is what I heard. And so they're climbing it. They're probably halfway up and the ice wall starts to break off like an avalanche sort of. And they're all, there's four people tied together. And so the top guy is the only guy holding on and the last three are falling off. So he's holding them on. And the second guy says he needs to cut him free. So he's about to cut Jon Snow and Egret free so they fall to their death because he's trying to save his own life. But somehow Jon Snow, because he's amazing, <laughs> like swings back and forth just in time and swings over to a ledge and swings up Egret and grabs her and they land on this ledge and they're like, holy shit, yeah, that they was take a close. second to like catch their breath, get their hooks back in. And then they start climbing again. They start climbing again. And- but they make it to the top, and they get to the top, and they basically just die because they're exhausted. But it brings them a lot closer together. Like, they just survived this amazing feat to climb this wall, basically. It's like a free climb. Yeah. So it was pretty awesome to see. It was intense at the moment because they're about, you're like, oh, no, they're going to kill them. Because every time you get a character you like, they decide to kill them off. So it was pretty cool that they made it to the top. Yeah, it was. All right, so those are really good moments. And um, those are just some of the moments. There's a lot of others that we could have chosen, but these are just some of our favorites or some that were kind of interesting to draw you into the season a little bit. Yeah, we could have gotten into season three and talked for two and a half, three hours. But who wants to listen to all that garbage? Well, I like, do, but that's about <laughs> Game of Thrones. So Yeah, there may be some diehards would uh, listen to all that. All right, good stuff. You ready to get into our out beer? Sure am. All right, let's take a little break, and when we come back, we'll be drinking our out beer. If you are looking for more beer podcasts, just like the one you're listening to right now, then head on over to hoppedupnetwork.com. We are a podcast network focused on our local craft beer communities. 
Here's a quick example of one of the many podcasts you will find. On the Pints and Provisions podcast, we discuss the ins and outs of beer, brewing, and breweries in addition to all those crafts that pair well with beer, such as bourbon, coffee, food, and cooking. Join Evan, Ryan, Mark, and Dan on each episode where we discuss those crafts we love to imbibe. Here's a clip. I don't, I, I've got four full glasses over here. I need to figure out my glass situation <laughs> and, and before and you're, I pour this. You're the one asking you for more. Your own glasses. Yeah, he was, he was <laughs> the one next? that said, what's next? Well, there's a bunch sitting out. I thought maybe, uh, I thought, I, I thought we were going to get those going, but. We are proud members of the Hopped Up Network, where you can find all our episodes and also look for us on iTunes, Google Play, Podbean.com, as well as Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Cheers. Okay, we are back from the break, and we have our last beverage. This is our out beer by Brewery Omegang, Game of Thrones, Mother of Dragons. This is a 6.6% ABV. IBUs are not available. The bottle says Smoked Porter and Creek Ale Blend. A beer for Daenerys. A blend of delicately smoked porter and tart cherry creek. Brewed for those who nurture dragons. 6.6, like I said. Uh, Brewery Omegang is from Cooperstown, New York. The write-up on this beer says, Brewed and blended for a leader who takes what is hers with fire and blood. Mother of Dragons is a blend of a smoked porter and a Belgian creek representing the smoke and fire that Daenerys has unleashed on her opponents. The beer will be available throughout Omegang's distribution network on September 28th, bottle on draft and in 750 milliliter bottles, and the suggested retail price for bottle is $12.99. Mother of Dragons represents her in beer, one of our favorite characters from Game of Thrones. Daenerys's ascent from obscurity has been one of the most inspiring storylines of the show, and we're thrilled to release a blend that embodies the character traits that have underpinned that rise. Mother of Dragons pours a deep ruby-tinted mahogany with a creamy tan head. Aromas of chocolate-covered cherries intertwine with subtle smoke and roasted malt. The flavor is rich with tart cherry up front leading to a center palette of semi-sweet chocolate, then resolving to subtle smoke and mild sweetness. The mouthfeel is luxuriously creamy and full, and the finish is semi-dry with lingering notes of smoke and cherry sweetness. Mother of Dragons is 6.5% ABV and pairs well with smoked gouda and caricature braised meats and rich desserts like flourless chocolate cake and cherry cheesecake. That was a pale's pairing, and I didn't even mean to do it. <laughs> smoke comes well with smoked gouda. We had that on our anniversary. Smoked gouda is... Some good stuff. Yes. That's some pita. All right, so the beer itself, the color, is dark. pretty dark, but <laughs> there is a hint of red. There is a little hint of red. Yeah. So I don't know if we're going to be able to find anything on the the geek color reference that we've created. I don't have it pulled up, so I'm, I'm not even going to try. But it is dark. It does have a red hue. Um, it reminds me of the beer that we made with Bird Boy mm-hmm. because that had that was a red IPA 
Right. It was dark like this. You put it up to the sun. You can see the red, like, shining through. Um, Smell-wise, it's it does smell sweet, tart. I smell a lot of the cherry and just a little bit of the chocolate. You want to give it a sniff? Well, you definitely can smell some of the sweet, like a chocolate. You can definitely smell that. It's mm-hmm. not, like, super bitter. Like, you definitely smell the beer smell but it has like that hint of sweetness to it hmm. so I'll give it a taste <laughs> wow <laughs> I just made a face because that is really freaking tart and that in the end there it's a little dry on the end with a little bit of smokiness actually it's not that bad I yeah. don't think it's that tart it's not even that bitter maybe I didn't have a big enough drink of it let me try it again. Yeah, I mean, once I get more into it, I think the tartness will die down a little bit. It's definitely like a little... Uh, bitter is not the word. It's like... I don't know. It leaves like a little like tang on your tongue or something a little bit. It's not terrible, though. No. But I think that might... I don't know. Maybe that's the smoke That might be the it. smoke part of it. It's kind of a... It's, a, it's like a hybrid... You know, it's a. I don't taste any chocolate tones on it, though. Did you? Barely. I smelled it a little bit. I more. smelled it more than I tasted it. But I'm just getting a lot of like the. Uh, I don't know, just a lot of the cherry and porter in it. And mm-hmm. The smokiness is more on the back. I say end. there's more smoky on the back end. I don't taste a lot of cherry in it either, personally. Yeah, I can't say I love it, but I don't mind it. Um. It's not my favorite, but um, if any of you have listened to any of the other podcasts that I'm on, I am not a craft beer connoisseur, so don't take any of my suggestions to heart because I don't know enough about craft beer to give you an honest opinion. Beer Advocate gives us a 3.87 out of 5, which is a very good rating. Rate beer... Gives us a 96 overall. Wow. 99 style. Wow, that's good. Yeah. I think just because it's really unique. I've never seen a porter slash like lambic fruit beer before, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. So I definitely think the... I would drink it. That says a lot for that type of beer. Right. Considering I would drink it. Untapped gave it a... 3.73 3.73 out of 12,000 ratings. Two of my friends have tried this. Chris Leland, who we met down at the Indie Craft Brew like um, event that was uh, there. I can't remember which brewery that was at, but he said this was really good. Smelled tart, but then tasted more porterish, but had some tart cherry on the back end. Very tasty. Give it a four and a half, and Christian D, give it a four. Taste of tart cherries with a subtle smoky aftertaste. Very thin and easy to drink. Perfectly fine at room temp. No need to chill. Hmm. So, I mean, I'd be curious about what it would, like, you know, if it was room temperature at, like, 50 degrees, maybe, Mm -hmm. you know, what it would be like. Maybe it would bring out some of the porter in it because this is, like, I think that's my knock against it is I want a little bit more porter and a little bit more smoke than like the cherry. Right. So that's what I that's how I feel it's 
you know, it's pretty much like, I don't know, 70% cherry, like lambic style, and then 30% is the porter. So that's just my personal opinion. Personal opinion. Um, I think I would give this like a three and a quarter. Oh. Because, I mean, it's still better than the the big big brewery type of beers, you know, the Budweiser's and the Coors Light, because it is unique and it's different. And it's, you know, it's something that I, I think, you know, there's a little bit for everybody, you know. Mm-hmm. Like you just said, you, you probably would drink it. Yeah, I'd probably give it a four. A four? If I can drink it, like I, it doesn't leave that terrible aftertaste where you're like what did I just put in my mouth like it's it's very smooth and drinkable like you said it's very it's mm-hmm. it's it's a dark beer but it's not like thick where you're like oh I'm gonna have to like chew it to get it down so it's it's very thin and light and I enjoyed it yeah so I mean it's not bad by any means no it's different for sure it's, it's different for sure yeah I think it's um it's an acquired taste you know oh yeah I definitely don't think it would be something that you would drink every day like you're just going to come home and pop one open but that once in a while I'm going to try something different or I'm going to have a porter tonight or whatever it's it's good to change it up it is yeah all right so that is our season three episode Woo! we're at the end in the books yeah we're in the books you got any final thoughts can't wait for season four I know we are going to the plan is to record season four in a couple of weeks or whatever, sometime in March, and then release it in April. Sounds good. Because we need to kind of pick up the pace on these. Um, since once April comes, I'm going to be kind of busy watching season eight. <gasps> season eight, the final season. So we better get it in before that starts. Oh, we will. So yeah, we'll get season four out there, and then we'll probably take a little bit of a break, and then season five, like in the summer, because the plan is still to do. Do all all eight seasons. Mm-hmm. So, but we did have like a big gap between season two and season three. But yeah, when we get it, closer to the end, it might be season eight might be broken up into two different parts because it'll be an epic season. Yeah, but um, yeah, I mean we have a one year old, so we're kind of like you know, on his schedule right now. Yeah, I feel like not everybody understands that excuse. No. But, that's okay. They we don't. do the best we can with what we have. Yeah. All right. Good uh, Good episode. Thanks for talking with me. You're welcome. And backing me up and supporting me. And You're welcome. Until next time, drink up and geek out. Thank you for listening to the episode. Sorry about the audio quality at the end. To close out the show, here is an instrumental version of The Reigns of Castmere. <laughs>